You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Friday, May 8th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle, and I am joined by Jonah Booker. A lot to get into today. First thing out there, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, you like the show, give us a five-star review. It really helps. If you're listening on YouTube, subscribe. It really helps. We appreciate it. A lot to get into today, Jay Book. Let's start with the best quarterback to play at Ohio State so far this century, and it's a heck of a list of quarterbacks that they've had. We did a poll yesterday for the site, and the eight choices were in alphabetical order. J.T. Barrett, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, Cardale Jones, Craig Krenzel, Braxton Miller, Terrell Pryor, Troy Smith. Those are the eight choices. I'll reveal in a minute how the voting went, but my gosh, what a great run of quarterbacks for the Buckeyes this century. Who do you think's the best? When I look at the best, I think about one thing um, is the, the lion type of attitude. And I, and I have to get that edge to Troy Smith. I mean, the guy, he, he just, you know, he came in not really highly recruited. And the thing that you have to, um, you have to really like about Troy Smith is the way he was throwing the ball in Jim Trestle's system. It's a completely different system than what you're seeing from what Justin Fields and, uh, Cardell, or I'm sorry, Dwayne Haskins was playing in under Ryan Day, where the offense is more spread and they were spreading the ball around, and the stats are they're just ridiculous. But if you look at Troy Smith, I just have to go with him because he was the guy, you know, Heisman Trophy winner at Ohio State. He was a Michigan killer. Um, now, if you tell me Troy Smith pre-banquet uh, circuit, that's the guy I'm going with. After that, once he you know, won the Heisman Trophy and, and went on the award circuit and, and blew up in weight and wasn't ready for the national championship. That was something that is also part of his legacy there. But to me, I definitely say um, Troy Smith, that's my pick right there. And, and Dave, uh, one thing that we would never be able to uh, – you know, really know is how good was Terrell Pryor. I mean, he had a he had a video coordinator as his quarterback coach, and if you look at the, at the way Terrell Pryor's game is, how good would he have been in Urban Meyer or Ryan Day's system? That's something that I always imagine. Yeah, I think people might forget just how good Terrell's passing stats were his final year at Ohio State in 2010, the season that didn't count when they went 12 and one. We all know he was a great runner throughout his time. He developed into a pretty good passer by his junior season and put up nice numbers. And, you know, they were they were a fantastic team in 2010. And I was at that Sugar Bowl when they beat Arkansas. It happened in my book. But, uh, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, I cannot believe the run of quarterbacks that they've been on. And it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. Obviously, they have another year of Justin Fields. Then it's C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller. 
Kyle McCord. I mean, it's just – it's unbelievable. You're talking to a guy, Jay Book, that grew up watching – I hate to, like, throw names out there and disparage people, but Greg Fry is a heck of a nice guy. He, he was a three-year starter at Ohio, as a, at Ohio State when I was in middle school and then into high school. I mean, you know, I mean, Tom Tupa started a year at quarterback after being the punter for three years. And, you know, he's the punter as a senior year too. I mean, there were some pretty weak quarterbacks. We all know about Steve Belisari coming through here, Austin Mockerman. This run of quarterbacks has been incredible, and I don't think it's going to slow down. Yeah, and if you look at the run of quarterbacks that Ohio State has had, I think that has been the single biggest difference when it comes to Michigan. I mean, I think if you look at pretty much Ohio State is one Braxton Muller overthrown pass to Devier Posey there. Um, from just completely smashing Michigan for 15 years straight. I mean, they're dominating, but just a completely absolute sweep. And I think the reason for that is because of the quarterback play. Ohio State has had vastly superior quarterback play compared to what they've had up north, especially when Jim uh, Harbaugh has been reaching in the bucket for grad transfers and transfers to try to kind of fill that void. Ohio State, you know, we, we were very fortunate to have Justin Fields fall in our lap there. But at the same time, the run that Ohio State has had over you know, the last 15 years when it comes to quarterbacks has been nothing short of spectacular. Having Ryan Day as the head coach with the type of offense that he runs with the, you know, he's just such a great quarterback mentor. You know, quarterback whisperer is a term used way too often, but he, he is a great quarterback coach. He's a great head coach. And he runs a, a fun offense to play. And so quarterbacks are going to want to play for Ryan Day. As for the poll, Troy Smith won the poll. He got 30% of the vote, which that's a big percent when you're talking about eight guys in the poll. I voted for Troy as well. I agree with you. I think Troy is the best. And, man, talk about splitting hairs, though. I mean, <laughs> Justin Fields is going to be probably the number one or number two pick of the draft. So that right there, you can say he's the most talented. Dwayne Haskins is the first Big Ten quarterback since Kerry Collins to get taken in the first round. 1996, Kerry Collins was taken in the first round. I think people, you know, Dwayne Haskins shattered Drew Brees' single-season passing records. So, but yeah, I went with Troy as well. I, he's the best that I've seen. And Troy in Ryan Day's offense in the modern day, uh, not, the, not that Jim Trestle wasn't the modern era of football, but you know what I mean. Troy Smith in Ryan Day's offense, I mean, that'd be incredible. Although I will say, Jim Trestle did open things up a lot more in 2006, the year Troy won the Heisman Trophy. But yeah, I, I'm, yeah. With, I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, yeah. You had, you had no choice but to open it up when you had a guy like Teddy Ginn on the outside with Gonzo and Hartline. <laughs> so he, he had the weapons to absolutely open up that offense. Yeah, the 06 offense, it went five deep at wide receiver, you know. The guys you mentioned, you know, with Ginn and Gonzo and Hartline and Robisky, even Roy Hall was, you know, he people remember Roy Hall for hurting Teddy in the national championship game that year. Roy Hall, he had a lot of big catches, especially in that Michigan game in 2006. And then he had Beanie Wells and Antonio Pittman at running back. And Troy Smith, at quarterback, they were loaded. All right, and then some guy named Urban Meyer had to ruin things in the national championship game for him. All right, a couple of interesting things to get into. I want to start with um, James Franklin coming out and saying that conferences will not wait for all teams to get back. What do you make of those comments? Uh, I think it's fascinating because um, it's kind of leads to the – to the talk of what the SEC is saying, where their SEC is literally saying that they don't need um, all conferences to be back up and running for them to start their activities. And basically, uh, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, came out last week and said that 
if there's a if there's a program or a conference that can't get back, then pretty much that's tough luck on them. And I think it's a situation where James Franklin is starting to echo those same sentiments when it comes to the Big Ten. He was asked about if uh, if the if someone or team or program in the Big Ten can't get back, the point that James Franklin makes, and I somewhat agree with him, is don't hurt the rest of the conference because one or two programs in the league can't get back. So you 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 can't you cannot withhold football because you know twelve of the twelve of the fourteen teams are ready to go, and you have two uh, two two programs in, in a hard-to-hit state that can't get back because of governor legislation or politics or whatnot. And I thought that was fascinating because the thing that everyone has to realize is the NCAA is not leading the charge here. They're pretty much leaving it up to the conferences to come and figure out what they're going to do. And everybody right now is just going to kind of move at their own pace and do what they need to do. And James those, uh, the sentiment is that there's not going to be any type of uniform um, way to get everyone back. So it's kind of it's going to be up to the conferences. It's going to be up to the universities. And if they have to, you know, kind of shuffle the schedules accordingly, then that's something that they're going to have to do. But I found that fascinating. You're starting to really see the ball moving with coaches and commissioners pretty much um, saying that, hey, we're going to get going, and if you're not back, then I'm sorry that you're not back, but you cannot hold up the, the process for the conference. Kind of along these same lines, yesterday, Oregon's governor banned large gatherings through the end of September. So that obviously means the Ohio State at Oregon game this year will not have fans if the game is played. Now, I'd be fine with that. I've said before, you give me the deal right now. We have football this year, but no fans. Sign me up for that. I'll, I will take that deal. I prefer to have fans, but I just want to have football this year. Here's my thing, though. I, we're sitting here on May 8th. This decision was made on May 7th by the Oregon governor. I don't think decisions, final decisions, need to be made this early. But just what do you make of the Oregon governor saying no large gatherings through the end of September? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. It just completely baffled me why people are making – these vast decisions, um, people in power over something that's, you know, three to four months away. Let's play it out and see here. I understand that, you know, people want to book flights and hotels and things of that nature. I would much rather for them to give a, a definitive and say, hey, the Oregon Ohio State game at minimum would, will, will be without uh, fans so that I can cancel my Airbnb. Um, but with that being said, you know, I just <laughs> – I, I would rather uh, for, you know, the game to be played without fans than not have football at all. I know some people said, uh, can you flip-flop uh, the game and have it at Ohio State this year and play at Oregon next year? Um, but it's just going to be a wait-and-see approach. I, I agree. I think people are making decisions way too far out. I mean, as, as we talked about several other times, um, let's, let's see where we're at come June or July and then go from there. In May, you know, who knows what the situation will be looking like come then. I know a lot of schools are talking about being back. All the Texas schools saying that they're going to be back. You look at the Southern Belt, they're, they're pretty much saying that they will have students back in the fall. There's been some talk of having students, you know, two days a week on campus and the rest online. Um, and I thought you made an excellent point uh, on Twitter 
this week saying that, you know, a lot of people say that you can't have the students back on campus to start training without there being classes. Well, if you look at Ohio State in years past, you know, the season starts in August and, and players are back on, on campus very early. Classes don't start until much later if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, for years, really until 2012. It wasn't even that long ago. Um, you know, when Ohio State was on the quarter system instead of the semester system, they'd play sometimes up to three games before classes even began. So these kids would – the football players would report in, like, late July, and classes wouldn't start until, like, September 21st or something like that. And the national championship season of 2002, they had that early game against Texas Tech. I believe they played four games that year before classes even started. Now, if the reason that, you know, football players can't be on campus is it's dangerous for them, that's different. But, yeah, the argument that you can't have football players report before regular students – that's absurd on its face. That's happened for years. So it really has nothing to do with football players can't report before regular students. That's happened for a and, and I many, wanted to touch years. on that, too, because I think uh, I was listening to the Texas A&M um, athletic director on the Greg McElroy show recently, and I thought he made some valid points. And some of the things that he said are economic issues that a lot of people don't think about. When they send these kids home, unfortunately, they're sending these kids back to un- – um, in backgrounds that are very rough. A lot of kids are going back to um, gang-banging neighborhoods. Not everyone. They stand, He was saying a few of those kids, as well as kids that are coming from straight-up poverty um, home life. And what they're trying to do is, is saying, we want to get our kids back because we have some of the world's best facilities. We can sterilize and control what's going on at our facilities where we could have someone coming in and disinfecting and cleaning every day. But we can also be able to provide meals, um, you know, three to four times a day for all of these kids and put them in a much safer environment. And a lot of people are skeptics saying, hey, you just want to get your kids back. But if you if you ever been in a locker room, everyone comes from different walks of life. Not everyone comes from a safe loving family a lot of these people are thrown back in in tough situations and if you follow some of these kids recruiting a lot of these kids get away from home that's why they travel such a far distance and now you you have them back in a situation where you know there's so much uncertainty so a lot of these coaches and athletic directors believe that with with some of their state-of-art facility the money that they have the resources that they have they will be able to provide a much more sterile environment for these kids and i thought that was an interesting talk from the athletic director from texas a&m great insights from jonah booker thank you very much jay book and thank you to all the listeners out there for tuning into the show again if you like the show give us a five-star review on itunes it really helps tell your friends about the show it really helps we appreciate that. I hope everyone has a great day and a great weekend. Let's go to the Buckeye Swag, best damn band in the land. hero arrives i am ready is there anyone stronger no tougher no funnier i do not make jokes i make warriors knuckles now streaming only on paramount plus yes